Our guest is the author of over 15 books and well over 160 practitioner articles and 60 Darden cases. Every time I try to catch up with his writing, he goes and writes another book and he's done it again. But this time it was a little bit different for me because I had the great honor of being asked to endorse the book and he sent me the manuscript to have a read. Here's what I wrote in my endorsement. A life-changing book written by an old soul. Old souls are wise beyond their years. They're humble and curious. They see the big picture, they feel connected to everything, and they recognize their fellow old souls. I feel like an old soul when I'm in this man's company, and it's always a great pleasure to have him on the show. He's here to tell us about his brand new book, probably his most meaningful and impactful book of all he's written. The book is called Own Your Work Journey, The Path to Meaningful Work and Happiness in the Age of Smart Technology and Radical Change. Very poignant. Ed Hess, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for your, your, your kindness. I mentioned this term, the old soul, and I actually, I, I really do believe that I, I'm a bit of a weirdo like that. I, I remember when my son was born, and I, my second son, and I just felt, I was like, this guy's been here before. He's, <laughs> this is not his first rodeo. He's been on this, in this cycle before. And I feel that sometimes, and whether this is just my own mental model, I feel sometimes you connect with people, and you and I have connected over the years, and I feel like we're old souls. So anytime we have conversations, which we do, Ed has been an accountability partner for me as well. It's always a great pleasure. And the feelings are mutual, my friend. The feelings are mutual. So let's get started, because we have so much to cover today. And I told Ed I, I had been booked the show is booked out nearly two years ahead, and I was like, I have to make space for this book, and I had to actually read it, because you know me, Ed, I'd feel inauthentic if I didn't read the book. And I made space, but also Ed helped me, because the book is written to be read in bite-sized chunks, where then you go and you do the exercises. This is really the how-to guide out of all Ed's work. Ed, maybe you'll give us an overview of this book and why this book. I wrote this book really to help people from all walks of life to have meaningful work and happiness in the age of smart technology and radical change. I mean, the, the age of smart technology is here. Artificial intelligence, which is smart technology, has become very smart. Chat GPT-4 is very smart. And guess what? GPT-5, 6, and 7 are even going to be smarter. And we're, we're, what this, all this is going to create a new game of work. How people work is going to be completely transformed. And people will have work going forward if they can add value in ways that smart technology can't. And this is the challenge for us human beings, all right? We will live in the most disruptive work time since the Great Depression in the United States. That's a long time. Technology will automate blue collar, white collar, green collar, whatever collar you want to wear jobs. No one's going to be exempt. Everyone's going to have to adapt. And the scientists, the great scientists at Oxford University, at least for the United States, are predicting by the end of this decade, 2030, 25 to 47 percent of the jobs in the U.S. is going to be automated. Think about that. 25 to 47 percent. 
scientists have already predicted that the average person now will have five completely different jobs in the next 20 years. So they're saying every four years, you're going to have to basically com go completely new. All right. So what does all that mean to us? What it means is, is the age of smart technology is going to require me, you, every person to be a highly adaptive learner who can learn, unlearn, and relearn at the speed of technological change. The challenge we have is we are not wired to be adaptive learners. Our brains are wired to seek confirmation of what we believe, affirmation of our ego, all right, and the cohesiveness of our stories of how our world works. In other words, we don't like things upsetting us. We don't like new things. We like to be sort of like we got it all figured out and we just are on automatic pilot. What, it, what that means is we have to basically accept the fact that we're going to have to learn how to learn differently and to be a highly adaptive learner and not really believe that everything that works now is going to work forever. And all I have to do is keep doing the same thing over and over again. No, you're going to have to be doing a different thing, different times, different times, different times. That's the challenge for us. That's the challenge for our education system. That's the challenge for, for companies and organizations as to how do you basically help your workforce, your people, our colleagues, all right, the people in our country to become a highly adaptive learner who can learn, unlearn, and relearn at the speed of change, which is going to get faster and faster and faster. And it already has. As you mentioned, Ed, ChatGPT has been a gift in some ways to practitioners like you, where now you have something to point at and kind of go and see. That thing's changing the game because that was difficult before. We had nothing to point to. And people often thought you were scaremongering or, oh, it's too far in the future. We don't need to worry about it now. I wanted to just say before we get stuck into the content of the book, you wrote this book also for a younger audience than your usual business executives. You wrote this for 18 plus, even younger, because I believe this would even go to a 15, 16 year old to understand stuff like how to manage yourself, how to manage your emotions, breathing techniques, meditation techniques, mindful techniques. And they, they seem somewhat esoteric sometimes to audiences. Sometimes they think you're a bit wishy-washy. Sometimes people are somewhat embarrassed to share this you're the man you researched and became a friend of yours is ray dalio of bridgewater associates he meditates he mind does mindfulness to a huge extent and sometimes when i'm coaching executives and i suggest mindfulness or meditation practices they'll go oh i'm too busy for that and i go well you know ray dalio when he's too busy he meditates twice as much maybe you'll give us some thoughts on this yes you're you're exactly right um, you're exactly right. Meditation is mission critical in being able to achieve the personal uh, control 
and to become a highly adaptive learner, all right? In the sense that meditation trains you, okay? Trains you to focus, and that makes it easier to not be distracted, and it makes it easier to learn. And mindfulness meditation is mission critical because to become a highly adaptive learner, you can't get there unless you take ownership of your ego, your mind, your body, your emotions, your behaviors, your words, how you listen, how you think, and how you relate to other people. So if you think about it, notice I didn't say it's how much you know, okay? It's knowing more than other people. Well, what we know is going to change so fast. So what we have to, for the really first time on a huge level, is focus on, focus on how do we take ownership of ourself, our ego? How do I have a quiet ego, which allows me to be open-minded and a better learner than having a big ego, okay? If I have a big ego, my job is to make sure nobody's smarter than me and what I believe is correct, all right? How am I going to control what goes on in my mind, our fears, how we react to people, our body, our emotions? Emotions are going to be probably the biggest differentiator between us and technology, positive emotions, building caring, trusting relationships with other people. In fact, many of the jobs ultimately that are going to be human jobs are the jobs that are based on humans emotionally engaging with other human beings. All right. You take ownership of your words. You're listening. How many people truly listen? No, most of us are making up our answer while the person's talking. Many of us, while the person's talking, is daydreaming about something. Or maybe we're making comments like, this is awful. This is boring. I can't wait to get rid of this. Uh, let's get this over with. Thinking. How many people have been taught how to become a critical thinker? Critical thinking is one of the biggest voids in the world today. All right. How do you think critically? How do we do that? All right. And this book, for example, gives the practices, the tools. There's many, many tools in this book. It's a how-to book. Okay. How do I take ownership of my ego, have a quiet ego, my mind, have a quiet mind, not what's called in the philosophy the monkey mind, where my mind's always thinking and always jumping to this and jumping to that. No. How do you just have silence inside so your full being is accepting whatever's coming in? And then, how do I generate positive emotions? Positive emotions will want to be one of the most important factors in having happiness going forward. 
Well, how do we create positive emotions? How do we manage negative emotions? What are the what are the tools to manage negative emotions? And you know, the book gives you seven different tools to manage negative emotions. It gives you tools how you generate positive emotions. You know, if you and I are having a discussion and all of a sudden it's getting tense for some reason, and I can feel I'm getting a little warmer, my cheeks are getting a little warmer, and I'm starting to lean into you, all right? You know, what What can I do to, wait a minute, calm down, Ed, calm down. Take a couple of breaths. This is not about you. This is about X. This is about Y. Don't be so concerned. Try to understand this different way of being, which is so critical. And so that's the purpose of the book. And you're right. The book really, somebody 16, 17 years old, can use the book just as well as an 18-year-old. And, um, and its its purpose is, okay, how do I basically use the tools that are going to help me be have a quiet ego, be a good learner, be a good listener, be a good collaborator, okay? Be compassionate, kind, caring, okay? Because all of that is how you build friendships and how you build trust. And no person is going to be a big success in the age of smart technology by themselves. No person. We need others to be the best we can be. Amen, brother. Amen. And, and hence our uh, partnership over the last few years as well. Keep uh, keep ourselves honest. Keep yourself on the horse. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to some of the practices you talked about, Ed, and I'm going to share. It's been a while since we caught up. I'm going to share a couple of things that happened for me with my kids in particular, where some of these practices came to life. And it was great that they were validated by the kids and actually by the outside world as well, which is great. But I, I wanted to come back to something because at the start of the book, you share many of the instances that happened in your life, some key figures, some key moments in your life when you stood up for yourself, etc. But also one of the most important things, I think, and it comes to mind through a quote by the great Maya Angelou, somebody we both admire, the Nobel laureate. And she said, if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never experience how unique and amazing you can be, right? And I, I love that quote because it also talks to what the Stoics talk, talk about, Marcus Aurelius, etc. And I know they're, you're great fans of their work as well. But it's about this idea of knowing yourself, uncovering who you are, and actually embracing that self. And with that comes a huge level of freedom. And this is a journey you've been through as well. You, you touch on that in the early part of the book about embracing your true self, because if you don't, you'll never actually experience life that's meant for you the way it's supposed to be for you. And that's so important because so many of us, you know, when you, we talk about let's be our best self, so many of us basically say, okay, that means I got to be better than Jim or better than Jane. All right. And the fact of the matter is, no, our best self is what's inside of us. 
all right? And it's not that we need to be better than them. We need to be the best we can be. And taking ownership, and I was, I've been very, very fortunate with my life. I mean, I've had many people who have seen something for some reason inside of me and have helped me get to places that I would not have gotten um, otherwise. And uh, people that basically, you know, saw something, felt something, and said, let's give this kid a chance. Let's give this guy a chance and see what he can do. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's magical, and it's, it's something that, you know, if we think about as we go along, as fast as the change is going to be, as stressful as it's going to be, we've got to come in with, wait a minute, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to basically take ownership of me. I'm going to learn how to take deep breaths when all of a sudden I'm getting tense. I'm going to basically learn how to, you know, manage negative emotions, but be able to generate positive emotions. I'm going to be able to get myself every day when I wake up, go out in the world with the proper way of looking at the world. And, and because when you do that, and when you're trying to work on yourself, instead of competing with other people, Okay, too many people spend time figuring out how they're going to be better than someone else. Well, that doesn't get you to your best self because you're spending time on how to compete, not how to be. And that's the that is very, very key. And, you know, it's and and also people have to understand you continually learn. I mean, it wasn't that many years ago when my wife and I were having a, a conversation and it was getting sort of tense from my perspective. And she says, wait a minute. She raised her hands and says, wait a minute. Do you understand that you don't have to basically use words which basically evidence how you're behaving, that you don't automatically, if you feel an emotion, have to use it? And I looked at her and I says, well, explain that to me. She says, when you feel something and it feels you're angry or you're upset or you, you know, think this, do you automatically respond to the other person or do you reflect and ask yourself, wait a minute, this is not me here. I mean, why don't I ask a question to understand instead of basically attacking? And she says, do you understand just because you feel something, you don't have to act it out behaviorally? And I said, no, I don't. No one ever told me that. She says, yes, you can manage your emotions. That's very fortunate. I married somebody smarter than me. And, uh, but she was right. 
And so we get all these feelings inside of us and we don't know what to do with them. And the interesting thing is how we come to the world emotionally will be the biggest differentiator between us and the technology. And so coming with positive emotions, having a positive mindset, a learning mindset, all of which you, we can learn. Nothing in this book, okay, nothing in this book requires a college degree. Nothing in this book cannot be achieved by a person who's willing to buy into, I need to be my best self. I need to learn how to take ownership of what's going on inside of me so that the best me is coming out. And by taking control, other people can't control me. Other people can't jerk my chain. Other people can't embarrass me or hurt me. I control me. That's the big story here. Okay, and it doesn't mean that you are spending your life trying to be better than other people. You're spending your life trying to be the best person and adding the most value to my friends, my family, my country, my whatever. But how do I basically continue to improve? That's what this is all about. And that's what technology is going to drive. Beautiful, beautiful. Ed. And. I'm going to build on that because you talked about that, like nobody can control you. And I want to bring this back to the title of the book. The, the title of the book is Own Your Work Journey. And many people go through their work journey as if they're flotsam on the sea, just going with where the tide brings them, etc. But you have to take ownership and you give us all the tools to take ownership in this book. But there's some very, very easy low-hanging fruit ones and they're they're easy to recognize but very difficult to embrace for some people particularly depending on your childhood and a lot of them stem back to behaviors that were formed in childhood so one of the examples you give in the book and something we've all experienced in life is a bully so workplace bullying is quite high many people don't talk about it obviously because it's bullying and they might feel ashamed somewhat about this but we're in a in a time where hopefully now you have HR practices, etc., where you can bring things forward. Hopefully more organizations have psychological safety. But one of the experiences you talked about was right back in your youth when you were trained to be a lifeguard. And it's one of these times where you have these sliding door moments in life where do do you go for it or do you leave it? And one of the things I truly, truly believe in why I wanted to really emphasize this. And maybe it's a question you don't get asked much, but is that you will never, ever, ever regret standing up for yourself. In fact, standing up for yourself, you will always be angry with yourself for not. But when you do it, it can lead you in totally different ways as it did for you. Yes, yeah. Yes, you're exactly, you're exactly right. Yes, I was training to be a lifeguard. And I was a, a different person in the area that I ge geographic ge geography where I grew up in and um, uh, my f my father was an immigrant my mother was from Boston we lived in rural Georgia and so we were sort of outsiders all right 
and I wanted to be a lifeguard and, and, you know, uh, I took, took the training and, uh, you know, the, the lifeguard that was training me, uh, basically, you know, said to me because I was different from him, you know, why are you here? You know, you, you can't be a lifeguard. And, um, and so, you know, I took the training and on the final training, it's when you basically someone in, you know, the lifeguard basically plays a role and he's basically drowning. And when you go to help, help him, he basically pulls you under and tries to drown you too. And basically he, you know, the lifeguard, when we did that, the lifeguard tried to drown me and, uh, it was so close to drowning me when, you know, he had to basically carry me out of the pool and lie me down on the concrete and, and, uh, you know, pump my chest and stuff. And I went home and my father said, did you pass? I said, no, I didn't pass. I've almost drowned. And he, I talked to him why it happened. And I said, I'm not going back. And he said to me, you're going back. He said, you've got to stand up for yourself. And he said, if he does that again to you, I want you to basically kick him in a specific place where he will feel pain. And, uh, and so I went back and the lifeguard then again tried to take me under and I kicked him and I came up and I graduated. And so, you know, my father taught me to basically you stand up for yourself you, you, and you take ownership and you, and, um, and that was a, a physical example but I've, you know, I've had, and everybody has them. You have examples in the workplace where people act abusively, and uh, or try to make you look bad because they want to look smarter. And how you react to those things, you don't attack them, all right? Because all that's going to do is make it worse. But you, you know, it's 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 very simple, you know. And we'll we'll role play for a moment. And I know you would never do this, but let's say you were basically all all over my case. And, you know, my response would be, wait a minute, I don't understand what's going on here. This is what I'm hearing you say, and this is what I'm hearing me say. So what's the difference here? All right. What is so important that you're basically telling me that's the dumbest thing that anybody in this company has ever said? All right. Uh, is there something personal? What's going on? And you you basically try to change the conversation to where it's not personal but it's like what's the right answer how do we go but but many times in our world you have to stand up for yourself and it's very hard the first time but once you do it once it becomes easier and easier by standing up, I'm not talking about hurting somebody, etc. Now, you know, there are situations when you get that, you know, are not usual. There are situations where you, you may have to hurt somebody that's really trying to hurt you physically. All right. Uh, not talking about that. I'm talking about the workplace. And, and so trying to basically understand that you don't have to basically, you don't define yourself by how other people define me. I must be a bad person because the lifeguard, you know, did what he did. No, 
has nothing to do with me. That's do something's going on in his his brain. Okay, he thinks I wasn't worthy because I came from a different place than him, and maybe people like me shouldn't be lifeguards. Well, that ain't my problem. That's his problem. One of the things you say in the book, and your one of your great practices is don't judge because like even that guy he could have been bullied at a different level like you know all the evolutionary biologists will show us that if there's an alpha male the alpha will bully the the second in charge and then the second in charge as soon as the alpha's not there will bully everybody else you know so oftentimes there's a hierarchy to bullying like this and this could be at home or something like that and i just wanted to throw that in the mix but it's not what i wanted to focus on like i wanted to say I emphasize something you said, because I know this happens to many of our audience is that they get these instances where somebody will say something trying to undermine their project, particularly if they're working in transformation or change, you'll have somebody in the room who won't say a word and then last minute will pipe up and try and absolutely spoil the project, try and throw as many sticks in the spokes as possible. And as you said, we don't know how to deal with that. In some, this has happened to me, myself as well. The first time, as you say, you don't know what to say. And you, the worst thing you can do is let yourself down by becoming overly emotional. So I, I think this is why I really wanted to emphasize this point. Like you say, there's words to put around this. It's like kind of going, may we stop here for a second, Ed? I, I see I've triggered something in you, some response here. Can I just understand what's going on here? So I understand what I've said. Did I say something that might have hurt your feelings? Because then you put it all on them again. So I, I don't mind, as you said, uh, role playing this a little bit, because I think it's so, so important for our audience to understand what to do. And thank you. Yes, you're quite correct. And in situations like that, this is a yes and, not a yes but to what you said. This is a yes and. Always ask questions, all right? Let me, let me make sure I understand what you just said. This is what I heard. Is that what you meant? And in this case, the person would say, yes, that's what I meant. Your thing is not worth it. And I says, well, why do you think that? Ask questions. Why do you think that? Try to get the data, the evidence on the table. Well, I, I just think that because I know more than you. And I said, okay, you may be smarter than me, but, you know, have you tried this before? Have you seen this work? You keep asking questions until the person and the people with you, if there's other people, the people, the people with you start saying, wait a minute, we need to talk this through. We need, we need to understand what's going on here. What's behind this? What is this? What's, what's really going on? And, you know, the worst thing you can do is to basically attack the other person. That just goes downhill. No, the power of questions, the power of questions. This is what I heard. Am I hearing you correctly? Why do you believe that? What information do you have? What data do you have? Has this happened to you? And if you're with other people, they'll start jumping in 
and it no longer will be you versus him, okay? It will be, wait a minute. We should be doing what's right for the company, what's right for all of us and everything. That's the way that you calm yourself, you don't immediately react, and you basically try to engage in a way that shows that you're trying to get to the right answer, not to be better than someone else. It's great, Ed. It's really, really helpful. I, I, I let myself down in one of these instances where I resorted to uh, the F word, <laughs> several, several F words, and it takes a while to get back. You know, you, you lose it. And this was at the start of my own journey. And if you're a team player and you're authentic, you you believe that everybody's on your team and then that's this that's why this is so hurtful is when you have somebody undermine or attack you and you're actually trying to serve the organization it just doesn't make sense and then you just go on the defensive and this is a nice segue to this next point because you constantly throughout your work all your books and in particularly in this book you say the biggest enemy of your progress in this smart age is not ChatGPT or AI or Google or if you want to point fingers, none of them. When you point the finger, there's three pointing back at yourself. The biggest enemy is going to be you. And therefore, we have to be able to control our emotions, control our reactions, because you say our reactions are mostly defensive and we resort to the three Ds is where we go first. And this is so useful at home as well as in the workplace, I'd love you to tell us about the three Ds. The three Ds. Defend, deflect, deny. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like automatic with many, many people because of the way we're wired. We're wired to go into the world to seek confirmation of what we believe, affirmation of our ego, little pats on the head. Everybody's looking for little pats on the head. and cohesiveness or the truth that our story is the truth all right and when somebody basically disagrees with us our em emotions immediately go to either deny defend or deflect and instead of going to deny defend or deflect which is not the way we're going to learn it's not the way we're going to make the best decision all right we should go to Pause and ask questions. Take a deep breath and ask questions. Explore. All right. What did you mean by this? What would happen if this happened? All right. Try to dehumanize. It's not me versus you. It's what's best in this situation. And we're talking about work, work situation. It all also goes home to the goes home to home, all right? Whatever relationship you, you have at home, whether it's spouse, children, friend, whatever, it's the same way because the thing that's gonna be mission critical going forward is us to take management of our emotions because the pace of change is gonna be so fast, it's gonna be scary. It's going to be upsetting. There's going to be lots of unknowns. And we have to be still. We have to have what's called inner peace. Quiet ego. Quiet mind. 
patience, okay? Listening to learn, not to confirm. Asking questions to explore, all right? Trying to see where people are coming from. If you basically are just going through life reacting to whatever's happening, okay, you're going to be like a ping pong ball on a table. And people are going to be bouncing you around and you're going to be going off the table, on the table, off into the roof, down on the floor. That's why it's all about this. Okay. The pathway. All right. The pathway is going to be very heavily emotionally laden because the stresses and the uncertainty that we're going to be living in is going to require a, what got you here won't get you there. And you have to basically adapt to a new way of preparing yourself every day before you go to work. You know, I'm going, I'm going to bring my best self today. And that means I'm, I'm working on this and I'm going to do this. If I start feeling bad or stressed, okay, I need to, Take a deep breath. Smile at myself. Think of someone I love. Think of someone that helped me. In silence, say thank you to them. Okay? Generating positive emotions. Not just reacting. Visualize somebody that you really cares about you. What's, it's this ability to be able to ride the waves, making them as small as possible without getting all the big um, ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. And that's why meditation is so important. It helps you do that. That's why Having a quiet ego is so important that you understand that your ego, okay, that there's a big difference between a quiet ego and a big ego, okay? How you feel, what's going on in your body, okay? How many people at any time during the day say to myself, wait a minute, my pulse is really rating. I'm getting warm. I must be getting angry at somebody or something. You know, how does my body feel? Okay. Okay. Well, how do I, you know, take ownership of my, of my body? Okay. Deep breathing. Take breaths. Just two breaths like that will slow you down. And you don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to make any feelings. But even though the person beside across from you could be yelling at you, could be calling you names, deep breath. Calm down. And then ask questions instead of attacking. It's these little things that can make life easier for us, but also 
make it more likely that we're going to be not only a good person, but a successful person. Ed, I need you to come into my uh, DeLorean on my flux capacitor, and I need you to come back to 2016 with me and do that breathing exercise <laughs> and intercept me from making, <laughs> from making a mess of that meeting I was in. <laughs> it's great. I'm so glad you brought up the breathing. And, uh, I, you know, you know, my practice of wearing a badge and to kind of reflect what's going on in the show, I, I picked one. And this badge is a, a quote by Gandhi. It says, be the change you want to see. And I feel that as something that you are a practitioner of, you dedicate a huge amount of time to yourself every day. And so we should, you know, I, 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 I talk to many people, people like me who are kind of gig economy workers, consultants like yourself as well, where you're, you're a professor, you're an executive coach, you do keynotes, you do workshops. And oftentimes, there's a guilt associated with, oh, I need every working hour should be about working. And I'm saying, actually, if you're privileged enough to earn enough where, and this is all up to you, this is subjective to you, what earning enough is, but earn enough to be able to put time aside to be able to be your best self to work on becoming your best self. Because it's always it's always an odyssey. It's never a destination. <laughs> well, eventually it might be. But this this is one of the biggest things I, I often say the biggest enemy of innovation is time because executives don't put any time aside for innovation. But equally for us ourselves to become our best selves to own our work journey involves dedicating time. Now, it doesn't have to be big. Like you were telling me beforehand, you're up to nearly two hours a day meditating. That's a brilliant man. But I remember you started this journey and you were on 15 to 20 minutes in the morning. So let's let's share that with people because when they see that and they see what you've been capable of in a few years, it, it can be very inspirational for others. Yeah. Yeah. The I started meditation, you know, many years ago and the first time I started doing it um, you know I'm sitting there and you know I'm deep breathing and my mind is just going okay what have I got to get done today what's going on with this what's going on with that oh goodness what do I need to do at home what do I need to what's what's going on with this granddaughter what's going on with the da 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 you know and I would you know basically get you know, and then I, you know, I learned that you basically slow, slow down, and don't focus on what the mind is saying. It will all go away of its own. But it took time, and so it it took me time. You know, when I started out doing mindfulness meditation, you know, I I started trying to do two to three minutes a day. Then I got up to five. Then I got up to ten. Then I got up to fifteen. And then it took me a you know a long time to you know get to the point where I am am now and it's that thing about not attaching yourself to what's going through your mind it's it's focusing totally on the breathing and so you know at this stage you know I'm at the yes I'm at the stage of I and also the stage of work life where I have the time to do it, that I can meditate much longer. But, you know, we're talking about 
one and a half to two decades. You know, when I started out, and the first time I started out learning meditation, I got frustrated with it and I quit. And then thankfully I had a good friend, a colleague who was a good meditator, and uh, uh, and she basically said, you need to give this another chance. And uh, and just when you, f- you know, don't feel like it's going to happen automatically. Just when you're, you know, when you're supposed to, when you meditate, you're taking, breathe in, breathe out, and focus on your breathing, and something's going to say in your mind, it's, you know, when you attach to the mind, say no, let that go, breathe in, breathe out. And you just, you know, you take little steps, baby steps. And so you get up from, you know, in the book, it calls on when you do it to start two to three minutes. And then you build up to five. Then you build up to 15. If you get to 20, that's really good. And you can, you know, 20 to 30 a day, once you get there, that can last you the rest of your life. All right. You don't have to get up to you know, anything longer so long as everything else is all right. If it's a highly stressful situation, I have the ability, the advantage at this stage of my life that I've got the time to take it to an even higher level, which is which is but it's not required. So it's these little things to take take ownership of uh, and that ownership and then, to you know, to go back to generate positive emotions, all right? And how do you how do you manage negative emotions? All right, negative emotions, and not just automatically react. You know, and the big words there is pause, deep breath, reflect, and ask yourself: Is this necessary? The words I want to use. Is this necessary? Is this useful? Is this helpful? Or is this just going to basically become a battle where no one's going to win? And, you know, that's the, that's the thing is, it's, it's so important is to, how do we bring our best self? And our best self is going to, we will never reach. Nobody, that's not true. There are some people like the Dalai Lama that reach stages that are probably their best self. But the Dalai Lama meditates four hours a day. All right. And so, you know, it's so, you know, maybe four hours a day, we'll get, you can get to your best self. Most of us are never going to have the time to do that. And so what we have to do is take the, and what's in the book, the book lays out and gives you the beginning number of minutes and how to use it on every tool that's there. Okay, and there are tools that, and it's based on, the book is based on all of the findings of the great religions and the great philosophies all through history. And it's what's worked for thousands of years, thousands of years. And it will work for you. It will work for you. And it's a it's a how-to book. And what's so fascinating is if you we look out in the world, you look at many of the, the professional basketball teams in the United States, the NBA, 
Almost every one of those teams has a meditation coach. Okay? There's a reason why some of those great NBA stars can just make it look so easy. Okay? Shooting baskets. All right? From nearly half court. And they swish. Not once every 10 or 15 times. But 15 every 15 times. Why? Because they've trained themselves. Great athletes, great musicians, great warriors. Okay? One of the breathing exercises in the book, okay, comes from the United States Navy SEALs. All right? Navy SEALs are warriors. They have to be calm, inner peace, so to speak, when they're going into battle. So that they can sense and see. And things, the answers come out of them naturally. That's where we're on the journey to. Is to how do we get to that stage? Because the best thinkers, the best thinking comes from inside of us when we're quiet. It's called emergent thinking. And critical thinking is going to be one of the most critical needs of every person as we go forward. The biggest void in the United States, at least, the biggest void in our society is critical lack of critical thinking. You're going to have to be critical thinkers because the pace of change is going to change things so fast. We're going to be constantly learning, unlearning, and relearning, which requires you to be a good critical thinker. And I was so tempted to leave it there. And I was like, oh, I, I got to squeeze some more out of the lemon here and get some more, <laughs> get some more wisdom from Ed. There's one last piece I want to come to, but I, I wanted to close the loop on something I teed up earlier on. And I wanted to also share this because many people kind of go, oh, Aiden, you know, how do you remember all the questions and the quotes, etc. And firstly, I have to say I read the book, right? So Ed knows that I, I do read the book for each episode. But also, I find mindfulness and meditation, and I'm not near as good as Ed is, I do like 510 minutes at nighttime, I go to sleep with positive affirmations. But that's a different thing. But I do find when I meditate, my cognitions better, my critical thinking's better, my writing's better because I, I come up with these beautiful metaphors that just almost come to you from the silence. It's almost like you have this blank canvas and they come to you and all those readings you've done in your life all kind of mix together in a mixing bowl and they come become your writing. So th I just wanted to say that because th that's, that's how it manifests for me, this stuff. And it, if it feels wishy-washy, it's not very measurable from the old business paradigm that's it's even seen as a weakness you could say it that way but i wanted to share ed because you mentioned the basketball guys beautiful things happened for me recently so my young son he's just turned 10 yesterday he is mad into soccer now he's got mad into soccer and he he can get quite upset with himself because he puts a lot of pressure on himself he's only playing eight months but he's quite good and he'll miss and he'll get frustrated. And I'll go, come over here, son, sit down. <laughs> this is just when it's me and him. And I'll do breathing with him. And he's and he's getting frustrated with the breathing. He's like a bull, like ready to <laughs> ready to go. 
and I'll calm him down. And I tell him, I, uh, to your point, I'll say, all the best players have a, a mind gym as well as a physical weights gym. They learn how to control their emotions. I said, because if you go and give away a yellow card or a red card, your team suffers. And ultimately, you'll suffer. And I said, at the same time, if you have a miss, and then you carry that miss with you onto the next time, you're, you're probably going to miss your next shot. And this also happens throughout life in different ways. So then I was watching a rugby match, and France are one of the top teams in the world at the moment. They're really, really great, the French rugby team. And at one stage, they, were, they had just conceded a, a try in rugby, and the captain got them all in the posts and did, in the middle of the match, a breathing exercise. And I was like, wow, like, that's, that's exactly, and I, I called my son, and I was like, look, the best teams are doing it, son. So that's, that's him. And then the other thing is, with the other guy, the older guy, since COVID, Ed, I hadn't shared this with you, I've had the privilege to be able to drop him to school. So I bring him to school because he's in secondary school now. And I hate that commute traffic like that is one of the bugbears for me so that's why i cycle i try to cycle as much it's great for the environment but it's good for me it's good for my own mind i don't have to put up with that horrible commute in the morning but one of the things that used to frustrate me was you know when somebody will slow you up and you'll miss a traffic light because of that person was on their phone or something like that right <laughs> we all know that everybody everybody's gone oh yeah i hate those people right so i said to myself I'm going to turn that into a positive. So when that happens, I'm going to do a breathing exercise. So I do the four, seven, eight breath technique. And I'll do four sets of those or whatever I can get away with in a light. So now anytime I hit a light, and instead of it becoming a negative and a frustration, I've turned it into this positive moment. And my son has been seeing me doing this the whole time. So he asked me, kind of goes, what are you doing, dad? And he joins me then in these moments and then he's totally calm going to school in the morning and now i've seen him doing the technique himself he does it when he's training is in his mma and stuff like that which is just beautiful so i just wanted to share a couple of things where you can be a positive influence for those around you when they see you doing it or you you might be the opposite which teases up for the last part and the last part i think is so important particularly when it comes to relationships Five, five Gateways of Speech by Roshi Joan Halifax, uh, who's a Buddhist monk and oversees Yopaya Institute and Zen Center in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, her life story is amazing and inspirational. And uh, she says, the five gateways of speech. You ask yourself, is it true? Before I speak, is it true? Is it kind? Is it beneficial? Is it necessary? Is it the right time? So if we slow down, you know, this won't be every time. I mean, but in depending on what's going on in the home environment, the work environment, and it could be controversial, it could be offensive to somebody, or we could be really emotional. We ask ourselves, is what we're saying true? Is it kind? Are we being kind? Will it be beneficial? Is it absolutely necessary? Is it the right time to say this? And those five gateways, 
people embrace those five gateways and make that part of their journey, they will see tremendous positive impact from that. And the way that the, see, the whole story now is instead of being focused on me and competing, it is how do I bring my best me, my best being, that's the most helpful to me, my loved ones, the world, that I can make a contribution. And how do I behave with other people in ways that evidence that? And that's one of the purposes of the five gateways of speech. And as soon as you feel yourself getting warm, getting upset, getting tense, leaning forward, Stop. Take a deep breath. Is this necessary? Is it beneficial? Is it the right time? Is it, am I being kind? Do I know this is right? All of those are parts of the journey to best self. And there's, you know, 28 different practices and tools in the book, and 35 workshops for people to be able to learn how to use those tools. It's a short book, 127 pages, but there's 28 practices and tools that are scientifically correct and work. It's not Ed Hess saying, oh, I do this and this, it worked for me, it will work for you. No. Nothing in that book, and nothing that I do, everything I do and everything in that book is based in science. It works. Science says it works. Research has been done. And so it's the real stuff. It's the real game. And the game can be very, very joyous, ladies and gentlemen. Very, very joyous. Just take your time. I can remember my mother used to say to me one of her favorite sayings. God bless her. She's no longer with us and everything. You know, Rome was not built in a day. Being your best self won't be built in a day, a week, a year, many years, because it's a forever journey. And that's the joy of it. It's for a never journey. Ed, absolute mic drop. Beautiful way to finish the show. I know you've specially put together a website about this book, and then you have your own website as well. Where can people find those two websites? This book, The Own Your Work Journey, is the website's www.ownyourworkjourney.com. And then my website is edhess.org. My brother from another mother, my old soul, Ed Hess, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure being with you, brother. All the best. Thank you for having me, and thank you for a wonderful conversation.